Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. Advent, the four Sundays that lead up to this, our annual celebration of the birth of the Christ child, we've been in a worship series inspired by that classic short story by O. Henry, The Gift of the Magi. And if you're not familiar with that story, it is a story about a young couple. They are very much in love, but as many people starting out their lives together, they were not especially wealthy or well-off. And so it comes to Christmas time, and they are looking for the right gift to give one another, a gift that would express how much the other means to them, a gift that is worth sacrificing to give. And she has gorgeous long hair. It is her crowning glory. And he has a pocket watch that has been handed down through generations. And she decides to cut off her hair and sell it to a wig maker in order to afford a perfect accessory for his watch, a chain. And he decides to sell his watch so that he can purchase gorgeous tortoiseshell combs to adorn her hair. And when they get together on Christmas and they realize that each one has sacrificed to give a gift to complement what the other was willing to give up, For them, they are overwhelmed. And some of us might think that that was a very foolish thing that they did. But O'Henry is very careful to say that the greatest gift is the one that you are willing to give at great cost to yourself. The one for which you are willing to sacrifice so that another may not just be blessed, but recognize how important they are to you. And so John invites us to Think about the sacrifice of that night. So many of us see nativities all during Advent and all during December, and we look and sometimes we almost become deaf to what we're hearing and blind to what we see. How often do you pass by a nativity and think all the things that John sang about, that that is the face of God in the manger, And that that is the Lord come to earth in human form. That every single person from that point on could experience God as Emmanuel, God with us. It's an incredible way of looking at the nativity as if it is for the first time. But sometimes we become so used to it that we stop being amazed at what we're looking at. And so one of the greatest things that we have been able to do over the course of Advent here at Crozet United Methodist Church is take a look every Sunday in worship at one of the generations that is a part of our church. We started with the greatest generation, and then we had the silent generation, and we had our baby boomers, and then we had our Generation X, of which I am a part. And then we talked at the 4 o'clock about Generation Z because they were the ones that had given up their Christmas Eve in order to come and have a two-act nativity play. 
for those of us who had gathered, and especially Generation Alpha that was sitting up here. But we're going to go backward a little bit tonight, and we're going to talk about our millennials. These are those who were born right about the turn of the millennium. According to the federal government, these are people who are born between 1981 and 1996. So this would include my younger sister and my best friend. So I feel like I'm a bit of an expert in millennials. I feel like I have some real in-depth knowledge. And I ran by some of the research that I had done with both of them. And they both agreed that this is pretty interesting and accurate. So I'd love to share with you one of the things that I've discovered about millennials that makes me look at them in a new light. The first is that they are the first global generation and the first to grow up in the age of the internet. 56% of them count themselves as Christian. That is the lowest percentage of all of those that have come before. 23% find religion as a source for right and wrong. So three quarters find outside of religion a source or a means by which they discern what is right and what is wrong. 78% believe that right and wrong depend on the situation. They're a very contextual generation. And because of their willingness to look at things and change them or adapt, their willingness to question what is, they have reshaped industries and institutions. They have shaken up the idea of how we work and they have transformed our dating culture in this country. And they are rethinking what parenthood is, here and now. And they have asked themselves, why should we stay in the church? What is it that a church that is founded upon this has to give to us? And they have left for reasons like this. They have never had strong ties to Christianity, as their parents often wandered away after they grew into adulthood from Christianity. They never developed the habits and the associations that other generations have with the church. And having a non-religious spouse or partner has simply reinforced their willingness to exist outside of Christianity. And the third is that there is a great tension that they have observed and experienced between morality and religion. And many have been convinced that religious institutions are irrelevant or unnecessary for their own children. Because of this, they have been very vocal about rejecting the negativity from religious people and religious intolerance. Therefore, they offer us a critique. If you're not going to practice what you preach, then you're not going to be preaching to us. And that might sound like a harsh critique, but I believe that it's actually challenging all the rest of us to look at things differently and to hear a rather large group of our population here in this country and in Christendom and consider what they are asking and what they have experienced. Because again, we could simply come and go through the motions and genuflect at the nativity and go home and call it Christmas Eve. But God expects us to go a little deeper, to go and see like those first shepherds. Let us find a new way of looking at things and experiencing God so that others might find a new way of looking at us and experiencing God in us and what we say, what we do, and even how we are present in the world.
Because the nativity is an opportunity for us to look at just how bizarre the story is. I asked the children tonight, would you have designed this? And they were like, absolutely not. Who would put Jesus in a barn? I'm like, no, you wouldn't think that you'd put Jesus in a barn, right? I said, one day when you grow up and you decide that you might want to have children, are you going to go find a barn? And they were like, no. I mean, they liked the donkey, but they didn't want to have a baby with the donkey. It's a whole other world. Can you imagine being a young woman, and the estimates are that she was probably somewhere between the ages of 12 and 16, to be a young woman and to be trying to live out your faith life as a good Jewish young woman, to be told that something that had never happened before and never happen, will ever happen again is going to happen to you, that the Holy Spirit is going to come and overshadow you, and miraculously, you will be the mother of the Christ child, and that you would bring forth into the world for all time the Messiah that generations have been waiting for, Generations have been praying, reading, listening to the prophetic word, and yearning to experience the coming of God in Emmanuel. And all of a sudden, she was going to be there. She was not just going to be present. She was going to be part of the birthing of our Messiah. And she was probably scared. She was probably overwhelmed. But she had a really good man. And chances are that Joseph was not of the same generation as Mary. He would have been probably closer to 30. And his family thought he was crazy because she suddenly is pregnant. And it's obviously not yours. So why would you have anything to do with her? What a waste of your time. What a waste of our family resources to raise a child that's not ours. And so... They found themselves shunned. That's why when all of Joseph's family had gathered in the same ancestral city, they had nowhere to stay, no family to take them in, nobody to even give a young pregnant woman a place to lay her head, much less to have her baby. And perhaps it is that when the millennials look at this scene, they look at it and go, how many Christians would do the same thing today? How many Christians would open their homes and their hearts so that someone who looks like they have broken every societal norm, someone who looks like they could be a lot of work and a lot of trouble, might find some gracious comfort and mercy? How many of us would prevent this from being the experience of a young mother. And so they ask us to look closer, and they ask us to go, is this what you are living out? Who are we in the nativity? Do we believe that we are those that are bringing Christ into the world? Are we in the position of Mary and Joseph, those that are loving and nurturing that grace and that love and that holy truth, willing to let it transform our lives and our identities? Or perhaps we are the shepherds. We are certainly the ones who are here late at night. 
Are we the ones that are out doing our duty even in the darkness of the night? And when we hear the Lord offer us an opportunity to go and see, we do so. Leaving everything of this world behind just so that we can glimpse the face of God. Perhaps we are the shepherds. Maybe we consider ourselves to be servants like the angelic host. Maybe we think of ourselves as those, it's our duty to proclaim to the world that Christ is born and that the Messiah has truly come and that almost 2,000 years later, he is still here. Wherever two or more are gathered, he continues to be present in this world. Maybe we think of ourselves in that role. We wouldn't want to think of ourselves as the rest of Joseph's family who shunned them and left them to find the only sanctuary they could in a stable. We probably don't want to think of ourselves as the Roman conquerors who are counting Joseph and his family and all the other people of Israel for the sole purpose of taxing them and then conscripting them into the military. We wouldn't want to think of ourselves in that role. But we are those people who have been empowered to determine where we are in this scene. And the challenge that comes to us from the critique that millennials have often given Christianity is, if this is who you say you serve, if this is who you claim to be, then why does the world still look the way it does? And why do we still feel the way we feel? Rejected if we don't fit in? Despised if we dare critique? Why is it that there seems to be this great chasm and this disparity between the call of Christianity and the way that it is lived out? Christmas offers us an opportunity to change the trajectory of the church. Because time changed when Jesus was born. The Christian world reset time to start again at zero. We change over time in this worship service. You entered in on Christmas Eve, and if we do things right, you'll exit on Christmas Day. Or very close therein. We believe that time can truly slow down, speed up, and stop when we are in the presence of God. And so we draw closer to this moment for this very purpose, so that on Christmas Eve we will be impacted. You have to make effort to come to an 11 o'clock Christmas Eve service. You don't just like happen upon that. Right? You had to figure out your timing for tonight. You had to figure out, you know, can we have dinner and still make it here? Right? You had to work things out. You'll notice that a lot of people that have young ones at home were like, we're just going to come to the fore. We're just going to come to the fore and we're going to get them home to bed. But you made a concerted effort and a specific choice to come here. And perhaps by allowing us to continue to create and have nativities, God is asking us to be willing to change the narrative. To change the narrative so that 
when people look at a nativity, they don't just see a pretty little scene and ignore the pain and the sorrow that is all around the scene. But instead, they see the moment when the world truly started to be transformed. This is a moment that Christians celebrate consistently. There are only a couple, the birth of Christ and the resurrection of Christ are two. But here we are on this night so that in a few months and a fast forwarding in the liturgical calendar, we will be here or somewhere on Easter morning and every person that wakes up on Easter will have the opportunity to remember that on this night, the world changed. This night made it possible for people to conquer sin and death. This night made it possible for the outcast to be welcomed home. This night made it possible for people to find a family even if their family shunned them. This night made countless things possible. But it's possible because the story in its nuance tells us that people had to make a choice. Joseph had to choose to stay with Mary. They had to choose, even under these horrible circumstances, to come to the city of David because that is where the Messiah was supposed to be born. That was the will of God. And then there, under less than ideal circumstances, Christ came into the world. And then the shepherds had to choose to leave their flocks on the outside of the city and entrust that perhaps they would be fine while they journeyed into the city to try to find a baby in a stable. And getting there and seeing with their own eyes what the angels had told them had occurred, they had to trust that, yes, we can find this child, we can see what the angels have told us, and then we can be part of the changing of the narrative. And all of that is reflected here. Now, if you're like me, you probably have a nativity at home, or if you're really like me, you have dozens of them. But there's one almost in every room of my house. You know, there's a few things pastors collect, crosses, nativities, Bibles, you know, we have those things. And so I have a lot of nativities, and all of my nativities have Jesus missing. And then on Christmas morning, it's my son's first duty to put all the right G's-I with the right nativity. That's his first duty. You want a gift? Help Jesus find his home. And that's how we have kind of transformed that, that nativity scene. Because I didn't grow up with that. My father is up here in the choir. You'll remember this. Mom had a really pretty nativity set, right? You always had a really pretty nativity set. And we weren't allowed to touch it. So to make sure that we didn't play with it, it was in the living room. You know the living room that you can't go in? It was in the living room. So we used to look at it and be like, I don't know why I can't play with it. It looks like dolls. Why can't we play with it? Don't go in the living room. Don't play with the nativity. And so we used to look at it, but she put it out with everything, right? The baby was in there. 
December 1st, there's the baby, and the wise men were already there. It's like all of a sudden, bam, Christmas happened. But it didn't. Because like the church, the story unfolded. Like our lives, the story emerges. It doesn't just happen. Do you see how far into the Bible the story is? There was a lot of preamble in order to get to this point. Now, that's not a harsh critique of my mother. My mother was doing what most people do, which is put the nativity out. And I'm sure she saw her mother do that, and that's how it was done. But the more that I started to learn and go to seminary and you know, become this, the more I started to think to myself, that didn't really make much sense, does it? And then sometimes you'll see nativities that are like very posh, very beautiful. Like Joseph and Mary are wearing silk. It's like, must have been good to be a mason. Why is he wearing silk? Can you imagine being that pregnant, riding a donkey in a silk chiffon outfit? And there she is. I gave birth. I didn't look like that when I gave birth. I'm sure there's somebody somewhere who did, and I'll go on Instagram later and find them, but I don't get it. I never understood. I was like, why is it so pretty? Because it's not. It's a messy story. It's a weird scene. It's a really strange occurrence. We wouldn't plan it. We certainly wouldn't design that. And it's so weird, it has to be true. It's just so bizarre. If you were going to write a story, would you design this? It would be a pretty little cottage. There'd be a brook. There would be, you know, like some doula lived nearby and she rushed over and gave her herbs so that she didn't feel all that bad. You know, you'd write a wonderful story. And then she'd end up in silk. That would be the story. Instead of the humiliation of having your baby in a barn. And the humiliation of bringing forth your first child, never mind it's the Messiah, but bringing forth your first child and realizing that you're going to have to put your baby in a feeding trough. Literally that day, animals were eating out of that space. And now you're going to put your precious firstborn there. And then you're still recovering from giving birth. And the angels were like, hey, let's just send strangers who probably smell amazing. We'll send them in the dead of night. You aren't going to get any sleep anyway. And all of a sudden, they show up. And maybe the only redeeming thing that happens is that they validate her. Did you catch it in the story? They come, they find her. And when they found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger, when they saw it, they made known what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed. They were amazed. What Mary and Joseph had done was so important that God sent an army of angels to sing his arrival. And then to send witnesses 
because Joseph's family didn't come. And Mary's family had married her off. But God sent someone to be there. And it's probably not who she would have picked. But you know what? If you take care of a lot of sheep, you probably know a lot about birth and lambs. And there they came. And they told her. And not only were Joseph and Mary amazed, but verse 19 says, but Mary treasured all these words. And she pondered them in her heart. She didn't know everything. But she was willing to think about it and weigh it and consider it. She was willing to take a moment and go, maybe it's all for real. Maybe all the hardship, traveling almost nine months pregnant on a donkey from northern Galilee down to Bethlehem, being shunned in a city filled with his family, the humiliation of being in a stable and having this baby and having nothing to honor that. And all of a sudden, here come these guys who say, we're here because God sent us to you and told us that we would find you here for maybe just a moment in her exhaustion and in her embarrassment and in her pain and her humiliation, maybe for just a moment, she felt like we can do this. It's possible. We're going to raise this child and he is going to be God in human form. He is going to save this world. Save our people. Save people that we have never met and will never fathom that they could even be. That is what Jesus will do. Do you see that when you look? Or will you see it now? And if you see that in the nativity, what are people going to see tomorrow when they look at you? What are they going to see? Are they going to see the people that maybe we weren't in that nativity? But every year Christians gather to celebrate the fact that this happened. And a lot of Christians are going to do a very practical thing. Maybe the day after tomorrow, maybe they'll wait till Epiphany. Maybe some people wait until like Valentine's Day, but eventually they're going to pack this up. They're going to pack it up. They're going to put, I don't know where you put it, like the attic, the basement, storage, the garage. Isn't that ironic? We'll pack up the manger and put it in the garage. They pack it up and they put it away. What did you do with baby Jesus? Where'd he go? Is he going to stay six-pound baby Jesus forever? Are you going to give him the next best place? Can he go from the manger to your heart? 
Can he go from your heart to your head to your words to the way you look at other people to the way that you forgive and accept other people to the way that you are willing to ask other people for forgiveness so that you can be accepted by other people? Where are you going to put him? There's a lot of Jesus at my house in a basket waiting to find their home. But their home is not here. Their home is here. And there. And there are a lot of people in this world who don't understand that he needs to be there too. And there will always be a God-shaped hole in them if they don't find Jesus through you. And so tonight, like the minority of Christians, we find ourselves here. And God must be very thrilled to see that there are still those who will make this the priority. And God bless you for that. Because a lot of things could take your time and your attention, but you are here. You are the shepherds. You are the flock. You are the angels. You are the couple who have chosen to nurture this child into the light that will shine in the darkness, into the child that will grow into the adult, and the adult that will heal the sick. Restore eyesight to the blind. Make it so that the lame can walk. And perhaps to answer the call of the millennials, to make sure that anyone who dares to claim that name of Christ in Christian are willing to prove that we will sacrifice so that others might be blessed. And just then, maybe just at that moment, Christ will find new homes and new hearts. And the world will never be the same. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.